Well, hey, Dan, I just want to serve people. I don't care about making money. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, I know I kind of threw out a challenge there. We're going to talk about that. What if you really don't care about making money? You just want to serve people. Well, we're, we're going to unpack that. I put that out as a question in the 48 Days Eagles community. Got a lot of really interesting responses we want to look at. Here's some other questions we're going to be unpacking today. Dan, if I write content of any kind, print or digital, write a book or compile stories into a book, what is the type of insurance I need to be fully covered. Dan, I'm looking to replace only $50,000 a year to supplement my retirement while keeping me active, busy, and social. I have two questions. Well, and I'll tell you what those questions are, and we'll, we'll help that listener with that quandary. Dan, I'd like to give my son a subscription to the Eagles community and a small library of leadership books. What do you recommend? Well, you know I'm going to go crazy on that one. Uh, again, we got a lot of input from people on what books to recommend to a young guy who's just getting his start after college and getting his first job. So we'll look at that as well. Now, our quotation for today comes from my good friend Jim Cockrum. You've heard me talk about Jim. He is the creator of the biggest Amazon training course in the world, Proven Amazon course, that we refer people to all the time. It's really the only online training program that I refer to. Jim has a heart of gold, and I heard him say one time, being profitable means I get to continue serving people without asking for donations. I want that to sink in a little bit. I mean, that that really gives you uh, the heart of a servant, but with a realistic plan. Being profitable means I get to continue serving people without asking for donations. All right. Now, our resource for today is 48days.com slash dream. Because of some of the questions that we're going to be looking at, it's how do you take an idea and do something with it? So that if you go there, there are, we've actually got four bonuses there. They're, they're all free. Just go to 48days.com slash dream. You'll get the video where I talk about serving from a full cup. You'll get the side biz freedom. 10 ideas that people, listeners have actually done that have proven to be very, very profitable. And then you also get how to build a business with only 15 hours a week, that breakdown of four different critical areas where you need to be spending time if you're going to build a profitable business. And also a subscription to our weekly newsletter that goes out with just lots of tips in there. Now, a couple of good news things here. There's lots of good news happening. You know, I'm reminded of that. Again, I had a conversation with somebody just this week talking about the news. Well, if you watch the news before you go to bed, let's say you watch the 10 o'clock news like we have here in Nashville, you're going to hear about the very worst, vile, just horrible things that are happening. And you get a sense that that's a general happening, that that represents a general population. That's not true. When they scrounge up a story about a town three hours from here where somebody, you know, raped somebody else or robbed a bank. I mean, that, that's a very isolated kind of incident. But the best plan 
It's just don't watch that. Don't go to bed with that kind of garbage in your mind. It'll affect your quality of sleep and what you dream about and the ideas that you get during the night. My goodness, don't do that. Well, there's plenty of good news out there. There's a piece going around, a lot of you have seen it, where Amazon is offering their employees $10,000 to quit their jobs and start their own Amazon delivery business. Now, that, that's a pretty interesting idea. So they want people who have already proven themselves to be faithful employees. So this is not just random people off the street. If you're an employee, they're, they're saying you can quit their job. You, they'll give you three months worth of your salary and up to $10,000 in startup cost. So you get to lease one of those blue vans you see running around now. They're like the Ford Transit vans. You know, those are the ones that are used for delivery. So you get that and golly, it's like an instant business. I mean, that, that's a pretty cool setup to be able to do that. I like that. Well, there's a video that um, actually my massage therapist pointed out to me. It's a Sean Anker video on happiness. It's a, We'll put a link to it in the show notes today. It's a TED Talk, but it's about how to attain happiness. It's really humorous, but uh, just such, so thought-provoking in terms of how we seek happiness first, rather than recognizing it really is a byproduct. Got a note from uh, Sunday, I think it was. Actually, it might have been Saturday. Saturday, Joanna and I were, you know, sitting, we were actually having lunch. And uh, somebody drove down our long driveway, spent a little time there, then tentatively came up to the door. Well, this is Mike Tenney from Minnesota, who had been doing some business for his company in Chattanooga, flying out of Nashville and thought, hey, he's going to drive down. You know, I, I described so clearly, I guess, where we live. And he drove down, drove back our long lane, came up. He was just going to leave a note in our door, but I saw him and walked out. We had a nice little conversation with him. But anyway, he left me a note. And the note was, he handed it to me anyway. Hello, I was in Nashville. I've been listening to you for more than a decade. I appreciate you. I want to thank you. You're a mentor from afar. Blessings to you and your family. Here's a small gift to my appreciation. Well, he kind enough, loved me a gift. I offered to give him some books or something. He said, no, 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 that defeats the purpose. I wanted to give you a gift. And uh, I assured him that I'd take some grandkids to Taco Bell in his honor. So thank you, Mike, for that. I appreciate that. I was talking to Chip, Chip Feck, who has just recently left his position, a longtime government employee, but he left that position. He's working on an idea. I'm helping him shape an idea that I think he's going to do really, really well with. And I may, may have him come on and talk about that because I love how these ideas develop out of personal areas of interest, as they should. But in the meantime, he also really feels like he needs a job, a supplemental job, whether it's part-time or full-time. But he followed very closely the plan that I've got laid out in 48 Days to the Work You Love. He sent out 18 introduction letters, then with a follow-up cover letter and resume. Now, that's a process that a lot of people don't do. You know, they just send out a resume and hope that somebody, you know, calls them. Well, that's not likely to happen. But if you do an introduction letter to kind of whet their appetite, then follow that up with a cover resume. And, of course, the next step in that three-part action is to actually pick up the phone and call. Well, he sent out 18 introduction letters, followed up with the cover letter and resume. And before he had an opportunity to call, he had four callbacks. That's a phenomenal percentage. 
to send out 18. Of course, what I recommend is 30 to 40 that you send out ultimately. He, Chip was just staging it, but in the first 18, he got four callbacks with some pretty strong offers in there already. Well, that's a great story. I appreciate him sharing that, and you can certainly do the same. This, this is We talk about a great time to be in the driver's seat. Again, with unemployment so extremely low, people are looking for people who know what their unique skills are, know what their zone of genius is, and if you can clarify that, let companies know you're going to get companies that are begging you to come on board with them. Well, I, I put a note in the Eagles community last week. I said, we talked to a lot of Eagles who struggle with charging for something that comes easily to them. So the question then is, now I had, I had a quotation from Zig Ziglar in there, a picture of Zig and one of his quotations. If you believe your product or service can fulfill a true need, it's your moral obligation to sell it. That's pretty strong. That's from Zig Ziglar. If you believe your product or service can fulfill a true need, it's your moral obligation to sell it. So I pose the question, you know, we know that a lot of the Eagles are struggling to charge for something that comes easily to them. I mean, isn't that often the case? Well, if you know how to bake pies, well, sure, you're willing to tell somebody else about that. If, you're, if you know how to help somebody get on track to, to build their goals and to carry those out, yeah, it's easy for you to sit down and do somebody that, do, do that with somebody who just happens to be a friend or acquaintance or somebody new who wants you, your help in doing that. So are you more comfortable selling something you don't really care about or providing a personal service you know can transform a life? So that's kind of the dichotomy that I set up there. If you have trouble charging for something that comes easily to you, something that you really love and care about or passionate about, then the opposite would be, well, it must be easier for you to sell something you don't really care about. But why would you do that? I mean, that, this goes back to the old quandary. Sometimes people pose to me, well, Dan, I really love this, but I'm afraid, you know, I do this as a hobby, but I'm afraid if I turn that into my source of income, I'd lose my enjoyment of it as a hobby. Well, I understand what you're saying there, and I suppose we could come up with examples of people who have done that. I mean, there are times when if you enjoy music, you ought to keep that as a hobby rather than forcing that to be your only source of income. But ultimately, you better be doing something that you really enjoy as your means of making income rather than trying to do something that you don't enjoy. I mean, the, the real application of this would be if you want to protect the, your hobby and not destroying it by forcing it to be the source of your income, to really make sure you don't try to take anything that you really enjoy and force it to be your income, you ought to find something you really don't enjoy and make that your income. Well, that's horrible. I mean, that's certainly not what I recommend. So we want to move into this space a little bit. I want to share with you some of the responses that we got in the Eagles community about this issue of charging for something that you do easily. So Steve Schramm says, tough question. Another idea Zig used to advance was the notion that sales is merely the transfer of enthusiasm. That, more than almost any other, helped me to bridge the gap. It turns out that I'm most effective at selling those things I'm most passionate about. And it's the confirmation of that from 
my clients themselves, which has helped me become more comfortable selling those services that I know can be transformational for others' lives and businesses. Edwin Solar says, your question reminds me of a famous saying that I believe Zig Ziglar once said, timid salesmen have skinny kids. I much prefer providing a personal service I know can transform someone's life. Ernie Lansford, I've had Ernie on as a Monday mentor in Eagles community. He's got a long history. He was national sales director for Mackey, you know, the sound equipment. The uh, mixer that I've got that I use for my podcast was a gift from Ernie. But uh, he's great, great, kind heart and very, very successful sales guy. Ernie says, I have no problem asking for a financial transaction after I've explored the customer's wants and needs and met them. Ideally, I conveyed perceived value greater than the asking price. I will not work with a product service provider unless I know customers' lives are transformed as a result of using the product or service. I need to fully understand and appreciate the transformative value and benefit of the product before presenting to probable customers. I like to sleep well after a sale is consummated. Well, I love that. That's a really well-stated overview of you provide value and those people thank you for it as they pay you for it. Well, Yvette Davis says, I struggle with this in my health and wellness work. Most of my clients have progressive chronic illnesses. Many are on disability or struggling financially. I know I can help them. I have MS and have been where they are. And having been there, I understand both how I can help them improve their health and that they are struggling to make ends meet because of their illness. I end up doing a lot of wellness consulting for free because I can't turn anyone away. It's a constant fight in my head between wanting to be paid for my services and feeling like that could have been me. Well, golly, Yvette, I mean, I really understand that. I mean, last week on this podcast, I told about a school in India where the students pay for their tuition by bringing bags of plastic trash they've collected in their neighborhoods. So I think you can be creative in how people pay. You may barter services of some kind. You may have somebody that you help who then you have come over and they clean your house or fix dinner for your family. I mean, what you don't want to do, I mean, I want you to be creative in how you have people pay, even if it's not in dollars that are hard-earned for them. But don't make them feel even worse by making them feel like they're just charity cases. Allow them to invest in the process in some way, and everybody will um, be better off as a result. Well, Aaron Tweeten says, it might be helpful to look at it from the recipient's perspective. If someone provides a service that transformed my life, I want to serve them back with these things called dollar bills or certificates of appreciation. Also, charging implies value, whereas sometimes free services are ignored. Here's an example. Aaron says, I used to feel like I had to make videos for my church for free since it was for the Lord. They often never use them. Today, my church is paying me. And I'm accepting it without feeling guilty. The pay also motivates me to do a good job. Well, Aaron, man, I love that example, the new model at your church. I mean, with the money flowing through you, you know, even if you don't need the money, you may choose to give it back to the church. But as you say, they value the video work more because there's a cost associated with it. Well, a couple more here. Susan Whitehead says, I love the perspective of either charging what 
your what you're great at, charging what you're great at, zone of genius versus charging for something you don't care about. I've done both, but I do find it harder to charge for what I love because I am tempted to do it for free. For me, if someone rejects my offer that I'm passionate about, it feels more personal. I've usually poured everything into it. If someone rejects what I'm doing just for the income, it doesn't it doesn't have that personal emotion attached to it. It doesn't bother me nearly as much. Wow. So, Susan, that really sets up kind of a love-hate challenge. I mean, if you're doing what you love, you're setting up the potential for that painful rejection. Whereas if you're doing something for the income only, it's just a transaction. So is it worth the risk to be able to stay in your zone of genius? To me, it is. To me, it's much worth the risk of that painful personal feeling rejection to allow me to continue to work in my in my zone of genius. Well, Cliff Feitner, he's the guy who who writes the poems. We often share his poems here on the podcast. He says, I have felt funny about charging for my talent since I give it for free across social media. Lately, I've seen where my talent has great value and I don't feel bad about rewriting some of it and asking people to pay a small price for my wisdom especially when I see people like Dan taking what he originally sent out in emails and publishing them in his books. Now, that's, he, he really hit on something there. I mean, I learned from the best. I learned from people like Seth Godin. I mean, he writes his short daily blogs for a couple years. Then he puts that same content together in a book, and we all buy it. I mean, I've certainly done that. There's really nothing that I've ever had published in a traditional book that I hadn't already shared with uh, the 48 Days audience. Many, many ways, whether it be through a podcast like this or in the Eagles community or in a blog or in a little ebook that we give out or whatever. That's the content that I test with an audience. And then when people respond positively, then ultimately we bring that together. I've got a meeting this week with a gentleman who is consulting me on how to release some content that I've been creating. I've been creating content that I call Sabbath Musings every Sunday morning. I write a piece and I send that out only to members of my personal mastermind. That's It's never been distributed beyond that. But the feedback lets me know it's probably the best writing I've ever done in my life. So now I'm going to look at, okay, now that I have that, and incidentally each piece is about 700 words. The one that I wrote, having done this weekly, the one that I wrote this last Sunday was number 118. If you do the math on that, that's about 80,000 words. That's more than what's in a traditional full-length book. But I'm not sure that I want to release it in just a book form where it's just these short vignettes. So I'm looking at creative ways to do that. But yeah, I've already written it. already gave it away for free. And now I'm looking at how can I put that in some kind of a format that will have value for other people. Well, Steve Barkley says, I always find it interesting that you walk right into many restaurants and get a meal for $5. But the restaurants that charge much higher prices for a meal have a waiting list to get in. We gladly spend money on things we value. Well, Steve, I love that example. You're so right. I mean, we don't put a lot of value on you know a hamburger that you get for 89 cents. There's a sign that I pass. <laughs> you can probably guess the name on the sign. The sign that I pass whenever I go anywhere because it's real close by here, and I think it is 89 cents. You know, so you can get a whole bunch of them. People usually at that place get 10 of them for lunch. But anyway, uh, it's very inexpensive. We don't put a lot of value on that. But if you go to a place that um, has much higher prices, I'm going to join some friends tonight at a. Um, higher-end restaurant here in town 
And uh, we, we value that differently. Same thing is true with personal services. If it doesn't cost much, we don't put a lot of value on it. Well, DJ Elshaman says, I'm challenged in charging individuals for what they feel their company should pay for in terms of developing their career and knowledge. It's pushed my prices down to the level of not being sustainable. Ouch. I'll admit confidence is shaken to charge for things like speaking and information that others may write in a blog for free. You know, that's really, a, that's really golly, an interesting kind of scenario there. You can find information on pretty much anything that you want to, and it's absolutely free. But, but here's the irony in that, like, like the Mueller report, that crazy, you know, long, obnoxious report put together recently by government officials. It's totally free. You can just go download it for free. Simon & Schuster stepped in, and they've produced it as a book that you can buy. Last I checked, they were making $57,000 a day with people buying that report that's absolutely free. And it goes back to my earlier comment there, whether it's Seth Godin or Dave Ramsey or Dan Mell or whoever, you know, we, we write a lot of things, and at some point, we put it together in a book, sure, and people will pay for it. It's just, there's nothing nothing mysterious about that at all. It's just the way that we operate. And when you put it in a book form, put a nice cover on it, people still see it as having value, and rightfully so. Well, DJ says, but at the core of it really is that it comes so naturally, I forget that not everyone has the ability to know, teach, listen, and advocate, so I sell it short. See, again, you really hit on... DJ, on the real core issue here, the things that come easiest to us, we tend to undervalue in terms of what value that has to somebody else. I mean, there are a lot of people who play the piano really easily. I don't. It's a real struggle for me. I've got a keyboard. I'm working. That's a real struggle for me. So it has value to me to have somebody come in who's been doing it for years, who does it very easily, and teach me, have the patience to help me with that. Well, great topic. Thank you all for your input on that. My gosh, I love the input. But again, if you're having struggles charging for what it is that you do easily, take a fresh look. Be realistic about the value that that may have for other people. Well, Sarah says, uh, Hi, Dan, if I write content of any kind, print or digital, write a book or compile stories into a book, what is the type of insurance I would need to be fully covered? Do we need an additional type for selling products, merchandise as well? We have various personal insurances, including home and homeowners, etc. I've done some research and was surprised by the cost for the addition of the writer's coverage. Does it always take thousands of dollars and many months of time? Or is there an inexpensive and less time ex- intensive option for getting a trademark? Have a blessed day. Wow. Okay, you got multiple questions in there, Sarah. Let me just pull out a couple of those. Let me address the issue of a trademark first. If you want a trademark... You can go personally, if you want to, to USPTO, United States Patent and Trademark Office, you know, USPTO.gov, and you can check to see if there is a trademark on what it is you're trying to get a trademark for. You can file that. Personally, I don't advise that. Now, you can do that. It'll cost you about $375, I think, to do that. I don't really advise that. If it's worth getting a trademark, then it's worth having a professional help you in that process to help you walk through that process. We have attorneys in the Eagles community that can help you with that. I have an attorney that I've used for years for that. And a trademark is a tricky kind of thing. A trademark really is the look 
of a particular comment or logo. You know, you can't really trademark. It's not like it's not like when you write something, you don't trademark when you write a book. That's copyright. That's different. But trademark, I have 48 days trademarked, 48 days to the work you love trademark. We've got some of those like that certainly in place. But um, I mean, I'm not one to rush out and get trademarked. There's a whole lot of things that we've done. And even like other titles of books, Wisdom Meets Passion, I don't have that trademarked. I mean, it's not really a relevant issue. I mean, I wrote the book. I mean, that's all I care about. I've got that brand kind of established. So you can do the same without going through the legal work of actually getting a trademark. Now, back to your other question about writing. I'm not sure if it has to do with copyright. So somebody can't plagiarize and write what you've got. That's automatically done. As soon as you write something, there is a copyright automatically on that. I mean, if you want to document the date that you did that, you can do that. But it's automatically copyright. You don't need to do anything else official. You can file it, you know, the Library of Congress and whatever. But you don't really need to do that. Most authors don't do that. I've never done that. Things are just automatically copyrighted when you write them. You can put the little C in a circle in there, and it's perfectly legitimate to do that. What you seem to be implying, though, is what if somebody come back and has an accusation against you about plagiarism or that you stated something inaccurately. That is professional liability insurance. You can get insurance for writing like that. You can get what's called media liability insurance. You know, that's a specialized type of errors and omissions insurance. And and what that would where that would have application would be where um Let's say that an online newspaper publishes a negative review of a local restaurant. So the writer contends that the restaurant failed to pass a recent health inspection because they had, you know, rats running around in the back room or whatever. The cafe, the restaurant over, sues the newspaper and the writer for libel, arguing that the allegations are false and have caused the restaurant to lose customers. Okay, that, that's an example of what would, or somebody, you know, writes something in a book and uh, somebody says, gee, that's an idea that I had. Or a movie production company is sued for infringement by a music publisher who claims that the production company uses a song in a movie without getting his permission. Those are things that would be covered under media liability insurance. Those would be really rare for a normal author to have to have. Now, here's, here's where this goes. And you can drive yourself crazy cr- trying to get insurance to cover every possibility. I know we live in a very litigious society today and people sue at the drop of a hat and attorneys run these crazy ads on, you know, late night TV. You know, gee, isn't there somebody you want to sue? You know, call me, please, now. Well, be that as it may. I mean, again, those are really uncommon kind of things. But here's how this can go. Let, let's say that I, I write books about changing careers. So somebody reads my book and says, wow, my job really does stink. You know, I'm going to quit this job, do something on my own. They quit their job. And six months later, they're broke. They're depressed. They're discouraged. And the family is in shambles. And a spouse says, now, wait a minute. You know, he read that book by Dan Miller. And now we're in this kind of situation. I'm going to go after Dan Miller and sue him because of what he wrote. That's how attorneys think. And if you start chasing every idea like that to its conclusion, 
and try to get insurance to cover for every possibility like that. You'll drive yourself crazy. And you'll be spending thousands of dollars that I don't think are really necessary. Now, I have professional liability insurance. I mean, because, you know, we've got a lot of things in motion. So certainly I have those in place. But I don't really have... I don't have media liability insurance like you're talking about here. And I think that that's looking at gnats when it's not really uh, something you ought to be spending your time on. Get the message out there. My goodness, if you get big enough that somebody cares enough you know, to go after you, you can address it when it happens. But uh, chances of that happening, unless you're just in something where you really make yourself a target, I mean, I, I'm, as, as I'm speaking here, the guys are here, you know, mowing my grass. You know, thank goodness it's supposed to rain later this week, and I'm thrilled that they're here. They have more need of insurance than I do. Now, they, they may not have the biggest, the, the scope of business that I do or the revenue that, but they have more need of insurance because they are more likely to pick up a little stone and throw it through my glass window where they need insurance to pay for that. They have more risk than I do as an author with the things that I do, coaching, speaking, writing. That's my perspective. Well, when it comes to writing books, you know, we, we have so many people in our audience who are in the process of writing books. And I love that. I love reviewing books. I mean, I dedicate an afternoon. Monday afternoons are dedicated to doing endorsements and forwards. I mean, I love reviewing what people are coming up with and seeing new books come on. But also, uh, keep in mind some guidelines for how to do that well. Because there are no barriers to publishing a book. We're told I talked to recently a PR guy out of New York who handles issues for lots of authors. He says there are 3,500 books being released every single day. Not week, not month, not year, every day. 3,500. The request I get for reviewing books or having authors on the podcast here are just overwhelming. I mean, most those even big name publishers I don't even respond to because it's just so overwhelming the number of new books that are coming out. If you want to do a book well, then do it well. Don't just throw something out there because you can just use CreateSpace on Amazon and get something out there even if it looks horrible, doesn't have a nice layout. If you're going to do a book, I recommend that you budget at least three to $5,000 for that. It just, it's going to take that to do something well. Be realistic about that. I mean, the old days of hoping to get a big publishing deal where you get a $100,000 advance, that's pretty well over. Unless you're some politician or celebrity, that's not likely to happen. If you want to be in the driver's seat and work with a good publisher who can get you into distribution, I mean, we can connect you with lots of people where you can do really, really great books. We have some really awesome resources, friends who are helping people get their books out there. But... If, you, if we take even $3,000, you know, $1,600 for an editor would be a very reasonable investment. Make sure it's edited well, that the words flow well, that you don't use slang and repetition in there. Then $400 for an interior design and $300 for a cover design. Those would be really reasonable kind of investments to then come up with something that looks great. And I love it when I get a book that just is stunning when I get it. It looks really well done. Well, hey, we're going to move into some other questions here. Kelly, just a quick reminder. These are 
real life questions from you, the listeners. I consider it a high honor to be part of your lives in this way, to review the questions each week as you send those in. You can leave an audio message if you want to. Go to any page on 48days.com and you'll see a little microphone over there. You can hit that, just start talking. Or you can just shoot an email to me at askdan at 48days.com. That's a common method. Askdan at 48days.com. Well, Brian says, Dan, good day. I'm a 54-year-old federal employee about to retire in late 2021. Okay, a couple years out. With over 30 years of government service, and I'm starting to prepare for my next chapter. I'm a creative, detail-oriented, high-driven, high-D guy <laughs> with strong traditional utilitarian values. I also have an entrepreneurial itch that needs scratching who prefers to not recreate the wheel. During your last show, you mentioned you had 100 business ideas that can easily generate $100,000 or more annually and can be easily replicated. I'm looking to replace only $50,000 per year to supplement my retirement while keeping me active, busy, and social. Two questions. One, can I get access to that list or will you steer me to it? And assuming I find something intriguing, will you help guide me toward a paid mentor coach with personal knowledge in that business? to see, to help demystify the process and jumpstart my launch. I've been listening to your podcast for years. You've certainly gained my trust along the way. I know if we met, we would be instant friends. Awesome. Thanks for inspiring people toward peace and prosperity. You're making a difference. Much continued success, Brian. Well, thanks, Brian. I appreciate your note. Wow. This first part here, last show, I mentioned 100 business ideas that you can easily generate 100000 or more annually and be easily replicated. Well, if I said that, I, I was exaggerating. I, w I was in one of my stretching the truth modes, as my wife so often points out to me. I, I really hope I didn't say that, that there's 100 ideas that can easily generate 100000 and anybody can do them. I don't really believe that. Now, do I think that there are plenty of ideas out there that if it fits you, it really uses the best of your unique ability, your talent, your passion, and you create an economic model? Yeah, there's lots of things. Now, what I might have referenced, uh, I know it was new, but I might have referenced Chris Gilbo's new book, 100 Side Hustles. I love this book. I've spent hours going through it, uh, set at the kitchen table paging through it with my granddaughters sitting around telling them, oh my goodness, listen to this. Well, like, here's some of the ideas in there. And incidentally, this is a brand new book. It was just released June 4th. So whenever you're listening to that, it's real recent, but you can now get it. I was, again, kindly sent an advanced copy by 10 Speed Press, the publisher. We're certainly going to promote it. I'll have Chris in the 40 Days Eagles community and may bring him on the podcast as well. But here's some of the ideas that are in that book. So that is, again, 100 side hustles, unexpected ideas for making extra money without quitting your day job. Now, incidentally, Brian, I'm going to send you, I'll send you a copy of our 48 low or no cost business ideas. So these are real ideas that I have done, most of them th things that I've done, um, or people that, you know, we're close to that we helped along the way. They're real ideas. Now, they're not all $100,000 ideas, but, but you say you need to replace $50,000 $50, in income. Yeah, most of them are probably capable of doing that. In the very end section of 48 lower no-cost business ideas, I also link to some other resources that will open you up to 1,000 ideas. 
ideas that kids can do, ideas that you can do, there really is no end. But it has to be something that fits you. Here's a couple examples out of this new book, 100 Side Hustles. A woman on food stamps earns $178,000 teaching people to bake bread. Now, here's what the deal was. This woman was literally on food stamps, had a couple daughters just eking out, uh, you know, survival. And uh, her daughters tried to bake bread on a particular time. And they were really frustrated with it. Gee, it's so hard to do. We aren't going to. And the mom was like, well, no, that's not difficult. This is one of those things where somebody does it easily and wonders why it would have value to somebody else because it comes easily. She said, well, it's not difficult to make great sourdough bread. Let me show you how. So she did. Well, the word kind of spread that she really knew how to do this. So she created some videos. She created some videos, put them up on Udemy, and she has generated $178,000 from those videos. Now, that's one of the things that I talk about. I mean, we use Udemy for courses. I have my mastermind course up there and other things that we've used that for. It's a wonderful way to get exposure to a lot of different people who may be candidates for what you do. Well, here's another idea. You know how funeral urns, I mean, when somebody is cremated and they have their ashes put in an urn, those urns are really pretty boring in how they look. Somebody noticed that, that those urns are, they all look alike. I mean, you can get brown or black or white, but they're, you know, they're pretty much all the same. So this guy has started creating urns that are really beautifully designed, real pieces of art, just decorated on the outside, some variation in shapes and sizes. But think about that. A lot of people have an urn, like setting on the fireplace mantle. I'm not sure why, but they do. And so rather than have it be just something bland, what if it, you were able to choose something really, really beautiful? Well, that's what this guy's done. And he's averaging, I mean, he's got a full-time job, as a lot of people in here do, but he's averaging $5,000 a month in profits from doing that. So that there, uh, an idea like that, Brian would do exactly what you're talking about. $5,000 a month, that's $60,000 a year. You say that you need 50. Yeah, there's lots of ideas like that that you might be able to do that would fit you. Now, a lot of these, I mean, even like that, I mean, the guy didn't develop any kind of new software technology. You know, he didn't invent something that's never been thought of. He just took a common, ordinary product that's pretty boring and made it interesting. And he's netting $5,000 a month. Uh, here's a guy, a corporate employee, makes $350,000 selling anti-mosquito wristbands. Now, this guy is kind of, you know, a chemist, kind of knew, knew things like that. He knew there was a compound that as it would be released into the air, it uh, repels mosquitoes. So he put together a mosquito wristband. Now, they're called Invisibands. And a lot of the power in an idea like this comes from giving it a really good brand name. I mean, when you think about, you know, Frisbee, I mean, that has become kind of a generic thing like Kleenex, but Frisbee really originally was a brand of that little disc that would fly through the air. And it's people like that who develop a strong brand that tend to make the initial money, the big money. And this guy, Matthew, is doing that with these wristbands. He tested the idea by putting it up on Indiegogo which we encourage a lot of people to do, Indiegogo or Kickstarter. You can test an idea. He raised $12,315 on Indiegogo in just a few days and realized people really were attracted to this. So now he really got into the business. He had some journalists and writers who write about you know health and the 
problems with mosquitoes and malaria and that kind of stuff. And it got traction, so he got a lot of free publicity. But in the first year, his business grows, the very first year, his business grows $647,244. And with his profits of around 50%, that means that, that he made, you know, right at $350,000. So I hope those ideas, you know, encourage you. I want them to be realistic. Um, but there, there are things like that that you can do. Just get your antenna up. When you're used to looking for ideas, they appear everywhere. If you've never thought about something, you know, the ideas may seem to be hard to come by. But if you get books like this, man, I've done this for years and years and years where I, I scan through books that have lots of ideas. So it helps me crystallize and pull out those nuggets that are applicable to my own life. What am I interested in? What could I develop into something that would be fun, meaningful, and profitable? Well, this comes from Eric, who says, Dan, I'm a 48 Days Eagles. I would love your advice. I have a son who just graduated college and landed a great job managing a large group of people in a new facility. He'll be trained in the management uh, in this facility, but I'm not sure he'll get the leadership training that I find here in the Eagles community. I'd love to give him a subscription to the Eagles group and a small library of leadership books. I have two anyway. Anyway, so so here's the deal. He put this up in the Eagles community as well as sent it to me as a podcast question. So I just jumped over just a little bit ago into the Eagles community to see what feedback he's gotten. This was submitted five days ago. Now this is how it works. People in the Eagles community get instant advice coaching, feedback, resources, before I even have a chance to see what happened. I mean, I love that about that kind of community. So Eric had a whole lot of input here from people before I even saw the question come up. So I'll go through some of the books that were recommended for his son who just graduated from college, has a leadership position without a whole lot of leadership training. So Troy Stone King says, I'd start with the classic How to Win Friends and Influence People. Chris Cook says, there's a book called First Break All the Rules, What the World's Greatest Managers Do Differently. Uh, Nancy Schick, who's an, uh, an attorney out of New York, says, The Art of Thinking Clearly, uh, The Power of Positive No and Getting to Yes, Talent is Overrated, Mastery. Anyway, she's listed several books that are great for that. Angela Chatham says, I recommend Developing the Leader Within You by John Maxwell. Reginald Holloway says, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Attitude, the Difference Maker. And then, um, of course, I added my, my list of five that I always recommend. Now, some of them have to do with leadership. Actually, I recommended another one as well. And that is Becoming a Person of Influence by John Maxwell. One of John's earlier books, co-written, one of the gentlemen, but I think is absolutely the best one on how to be a leader, becoming a person of influence. But then I, I recommended for um, Eric as well the traditional list that I give, the five books that I think any young person ought to read. Number one, How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie. Number two, See You at the Top, Zig Ziglar. Number three, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill. Number four, The Magic of Thinking Big, David Schwartz. Number five, Acres of Diamonds by Russell Conwell. And here's, here's another one. I'll, I'll wrap up with this one. This is just a short note from Dean who says, uh, Dan, I wanted to share something with you that I thought was really cool. I found a new podcast last week, the Aviation Careers Podcast, hosted by Carl Valeri. Carl is an airline pilot, 
podcast host and aviation career coach. After listening to several episodes, my thought was, Carl is the Dan Miller of aviation. He does what Dan Miller does with a focus on aviation careers. So here's the cool part. I checked out his website, aviationcareerspodcast.com, and under the recommended reading tab, guess what book he has there? Yep, 48 Days to the Work You Love. If you and Carl ever get a chance to talk, you two would surely have a fascinating conversation. I would certainly be eager to listen to that. Thanks, Dan, for your continuous invest, investment in helping people to make progress in life. You're a tremendous blessing. Well, thank you thank you for that note. I don't know Carl, but I'm sure that I would be delighted to, to meet him. You know, perhaps next week, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll work it in. I want to talk about the power of relationships, the power of connections. I'll talk about the 3 a.m. list. Who is it that you could call at 3 a.m. and know that they would drop everything they're doing, they would have provide whatever you need, or help, financial resources, whatever. Who is it that you could call at 3 a.m.? I'll develop a little scenario for how we're going to look at that. But the power of relationships is just indescribable. I mean, you, you can't be successful alone. I know that in this arena where we have a lot of solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, it's really easy to think I'm just going to do it on my own. I don't want anybody managing me. I don't want to have to be responsible for anybody. I mean, I personally tend to be kind of in that camp. I don't have any employees, but my goodness, that does not in any way mean that I do everything around here by myself. That is not true at all. I depend heavily on the talent of a bunch of other people to make things happen around here. We've had seven people this, this uh, well, this month, that this last month that joined us in Coaching Mastery. Now, that's a big investment for people. We really go deep with those people and helping them build their success. Got a lady in there who's just recent, and I helped her recently before she even joined there in one proposal that will 10 times her income this year. It's just an astounding story that I can unpack at some point if she agrees to let me do that. But, um, you know, I love being able to do that. But we, we need people. I need people to look over my shoulder and see what I'm doing, what I can do better. I mean, those are the kind of things that I need help with every day for sure. Well, remember our quotation for today coming from my buddy Jim Cocker, who says, being profitable means I get to continue serving people without asking for donations. Man, I love that. What, what a great rationale for having an economic model connected to your hobby, your art, your service, your ministry. Because if you don't, you're going to end up starving. You can't serve with an empty cup. Well, also our free resource for today, just go to 48days.com slash dream. With that, you're going to get those four resources that we're happy to give you to help you on your path. However you're developing, whatever idea you want to develop. I know a lot of you are looking for those ideas that you can develop. Oh, my goodness. Keep asking us questions. We'll point you to the resources that will blow your mind in terms of opening up ideas. If you feel like you're stuck, you're stagnant, you have no ideas, that's okay. On the counterpart, a lot of you show up and you have a ton of ideas. You get a hundred ideas. That's okay too as a starting point. But at some point, you have to narrow down, create a clear plan, 
Say, this is what I'm going to do. Focus on that one thing. Do that for one year without second-guessing yourself or looking over your shoulder. That's the way you explode your success. And we got lots of examples that I'll continue to share here in the podcast. So shoot me your questions. Ask Dan at 48days.com. Again, I consider it a great honor to review those, be part of your life in that way. Hey, rate us on iTunes. Share this podcast with others. It's how we grow. Continue to hear from people around the world who we're connecting with. Consider that an opportunity. But love connecting with you in this way, knowing that together we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.